Good morning. Is this on? Can you hear me? Uh, my name is David. I'm, I'm one of the elders here, as I was just introduced, and uh, it's really an honor to speak to you guys this morning. Um, a couple months ago, Pastor Wade asked me to to uh, to dinner, and he asked me to preach. And uh, I think you have to be really careful when you eat dinner with pastors. They ne- you never know what they're going to ask you to do. And I was actually kind of shocked he had asked me to preach because there's several seminary qualified uh, preachers in the church, and I'm not one of them. So if this goes at all a little bit well, then praise God, you know, he's merciful and gracious. But if, uh, if this goes badly, you can just uh, say, well, you know, he doesn't know anything. He didn't even go to seminary. So um, I thought I would turn Wade down, um, but he told me that he was preaching on the heart and the ministry of the church. And I thought maybe there might be something that God could say to me uh, through me that was worth, worth sharing with my family here. And so I want to think of this sermon kind of as an accessory to what Wade's uh, been preaching on, on the church. And if you know me at all, you know that there's actually nothing more that I'm passionate about in all of Christian life than the importance and the health of the church community in the life of the Christian. And also, because uh, I love Indelible Grace Church, Um, Annie and I love you guys. Uh, We made our life here in a a few short years. Um, I can't even imagine, actually, what my life would look like without uh, the relationships I've built here. Uh, you guys have been a tremendous source of joy and comfort and peace and uh, and love. And so, Annie and I thank you. And I wanted to say that um, I have I have a picture here that I took that was taken of me my second week ever at IGC. It was in our community group in Oakland. And Andrew and Fion, they were leading the group. They told me what I wanted to see from our community. You can't see it, but what I wrote here is three and a half years ago. I wrote speaking truth in love, and I didn't know a thing about IGC. But that's what I wanted to see. I wanted to see speaking truth and love. So to preach on this text is really cool. I get to go full meta, and I get to speak the truth and love to you guys about speaking the truth and love. And so uh, that's what I'm going to do. Let's pray. Um, Father, your word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So more than anything... I pray that your word go out today to our hearts to transform us and shape us as a people. In Christ's name, amen. I found this picture on the internet the other day. If you take a look, it's a a delicious pastry. It's sliced up on a cutting board. But if you look carefully, it's it's not a cutting board. If you look carefully, that's an iPad. And it's being used as a cutting board. Um, And apparently, someone's grandma didn't know what an iPad was. So she grabbed it and used it for this, and uh, it, it's functional, it works. And I saw this, and I thought it was such a silly and cute story, right? This grandma didn't know. She, didn't have it, she had no idea this advanced piece of technology that she was cutting pastries on. But I think it gives us a glimpse sometimes of how we do church. Um, if you've been around churches long enough, we've, we've seen a lot of them, but sometimes we don't realize how amazing church can really be. And so we turn it into something else. We, we turn it into something functional for our purpose, but it's not really all that it could be. And uh, imagine if Steve Jobs, you know, while he was still alive, went to this grandmother's house to explain to her what an iPad was and how it works and all the technology that went into it and his vision for the iPad. I think she would never use it as a cutting board after that. Um, but for the church, it's really great that we get to see Jesus. He speaks to us directly in his word to explain what church is and to tell us how it works and what his vision for the church is. And so there's no doubt that the word of God forms and shapes the people of God, and today I want the Word of God to shape our relationship to the church. Um, So uh, if you can open up your bulletins to our text, it's out of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Um, It's a lengthy text, 
uh, but just bear with me as we read it together. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every, every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when it, each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of God. Amen. I, I chose this text because I love Ephesians, and uh, it's really been foundational to my understanding of church. And uh, I really encourage you guys to go home and uh, in- study the entire book. It's, it's really only six chapters, but it's, it's foundational for the church. But I want to set proper expectations today. I'm not going to uh, exposit all 16 texts. My plan is to do a quick summary, an overview of this text, and then I want to focus, uh, focus on two specific things it's telling us. And uh, in uh, IGC tradition, uh, to be as cool as our pastors, I got three alliterative points to my sermon. So here's my points. A prescription for church, potential pitfalls in church, and the plan for the church. Again, that's a prescription for church, potential pitfalls in church, and the plan for the church. So my first point is on a prescription for church. When we come to a text like this about the church, we got to ask ourselves, is this descriptive or is this prescriptive for the church? Meaning, is this describing something in the church that may not ever happen again, or is it providing some kind of blueprint for churches everywhere? And here in this text, Paul is being clearly prescriptive. This is not just for the Ephesians. It's for all churches everywhere and how how it should be. And so we want to take a look at the prescription of this text really quickly. I want to give you guys the cliff notes. And I'm going to take only a few minutes to run down this text. And I'm going to move pretty quickly. So just follow along with me as best as you can as I go through the text. Um, In my mind, this text can be broken into five sections. Verses 1 through 3, 4 through 6, 7 through 10, 11 through 13, and 14 through 16. And I think each one of these deserves its own sermon. So on your own, you can go uh, study that later. But again, this is just a quick overview, so follow along with me in the text. In verses 1 through 3, you'll see that Paul is telling the Ephesian church to walk according to their gospel calling um, is to maintain unity of the Spirit with humility and patience for one another. And if you were at our retreat, Pastor Jeff, he talked about the humility and patience that we're, we're to have one, as, with one another as described in Philippians chapter 2. And it's really this attitude of humility and patience that preserves our unity in the church. And we've been talking a lot about unity. If you look at verse 3, you'll notice that Paul doesn't tell us to create unity. 
He tells us to maintain unity because we already have it in the Spirit, in Christ. And we have to be eager to maintain it because, as Wade reminded us last week, there's a lot of threats against unity. And so um, Paul expands on this in the next three verses, four through, uh, four through six, by, by telling us the seven ones that unite the church. You see them there. It's one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. And then if you look in verses 7 through 10, he says, although we have this unity, it's a really, it's a diverse unity, right? There's this diversity of gifts that Christ has handed out to each person in the church. And really the image that Paul is giving us there, he's giving us an image that Jesus is like this king who after winning a war, he divides the spoils of war to each of his citizens, handing out gifts to each person. So each of us have a gift in the church. And then verse 11 through 13, Paul says that while every believer has gifts, there's some in the church, like pastors, Pastor Wade, Pastor Michael, they're given particular gifts to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And as we've said at IGC over and over, it's not the pastors that do all the work, right? They equip us so that we do the work of the ministry. Every member ministry, that's what we're called to do. And if you look in verse 3, the purpose of all of our ministry is so that we all become mature in Christ, that we all have complete unity in faith, and complete unity in the knowledge of Jesus. And finally, if you look at verses 14 to 16, Paul says if we don't mature as a church, we're going to get tossed back and forth by all kinds of unbiblical ideas and lies. And to counter that, in verse 15, he says we, we need to speak truth and love to one another as all the parts of the church are working together as Christ makes our body grow and build itself up. So that is the overview of this text. That's the summary and the blueprint of this passage. And one way to summarize the passage is like this. The way to do church is by striving to maintain unity and mature in Christ by using our diverse set of gifts to minister truth and love to one another. I'm going to say that one more time. The way to do church is to strive to maintain unity and mature in Christ by using our diverse set of gifts to minister truth and love to one another. And that's the blueprint. That's the two-minute summary that's what we've been called and commanded to do by God. It's really just ordinary church uh, done according to God's will. <clears throat> Many of us have heard this before. But if that's the prescription for church, then what will prevent us as a church from get, becoming this kind of church? Which brings me to my second point, which is potential pitfalls in church. If we look at verses 13 and 14, Paul gives us two contra- contrasting images. Take a look. The mature church and the immature church. The church that has grown up, in verse 13, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. And on the other hand, the children who are tossed back and forth by winds of doctrine and deceitful schemes and lies. I thought about uh, what kind of doctrines, winds of doctrines, could be destabilizing our church uh, today. In, in America, in the Bay Area, there's many. Uh, in, the, in Ephesus, uh, when Paul wrote this letter, it was uh, witchcraft, like pagan idolatry, sorcery, you see a lot of these themes addressed in the book of Ephesians. Uh, talks about it all over. You see it in, in Ephesians 6 when he talks about the armor of God. Um, but what about us in our church? Uh, for us, it could be things like individualism or consumerism, um, secular culture infiltrating its way into the church, or maybe false teachings like uh, the prosperity gospel or the word of faith movement. We've heard about those. But I think one of the most dangerous and deceitful schemes that Satan uses today in our, in our church is to put doubt in our hearts about the sufficiency and the authority of Scripture 
and the authority of God's word. And so we become disinterested. We become distant from scripture. And these texts, they don't move us much. And then when the other lies start to creep in around us and the wind of doctrine start to blow, Paul says we get tossed back and forth. When the anchors of God's word have not set us firmly in place, we go wherever the winds take us. And when we don't stand on the word of God, then we'll fall for anything. And that's the warning for us in this passage. So here's a few questions for you guys. How committed are you to knowing God's word? What are you doing to place yourself under the Bible, under its teaching, to know it well, to shape you, to shape your views of church. Because here's the danger. Without the word of God grounding us, we start to come up with all kinds of ideas of what church should look like and that look, that look less and less like God church, but some kind of church of our imagination or church of the culture or something else. Some of us might want to rely on business books to figure out how the church is supposed to function. Or we'll do some kind of a Chipotle church, I call it Chipotle church, where we walk through, we just pick and choose right, all the things that we like and don't like based on our personal preferences. Or we start comparing church, our church, to some experiences that we've had in the past. Maybe a thriving college fellowship, or maybe another church we attended or visited, or some past glorious moment even at this church, right? And we try to re-engineer some of those moments so we can relive some of those spiritual highs. I know that I've done that in my life, and I confess that. But here's the problem, family. Our human ideas of church, if they're unexamined by Scripture, they're not only unhelpful, but they can be harmful both to ourselves and to others. They're going to stunt our growth. They're going to hinder our mission. They can even destroy this community that you guys love. And that's why this sermon series that we're doing is so important. We need to know what church is according to God's word. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote one of the best books on Christian community called Life Together. And uh, in it, he warns us about the danger of projecting our ideals onto the church. So I want to read you guys this quote. It's lengthy, so I've had it posted up here. Um, But I I love this quote for various reasons, but let me read it. Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands. He sets up his own law and judges his brothers and God himself accordingly. He stands adamant, a living reproach to all others in the circle of his brothers, He acts as if he is the creator of Christian community, as if his dream binds men together. When things do not go his way, he calls the effort a failure. When his ideal picture is destroyed, he sees the community going to smash, and so he becomes first an accuser of his brothers, then an accuser of God, and finally the despairing accuser of himself. It's a sobering quote. And when I read this first, uh, first read this a few years ago, or several years ago, I felt like I got punched in the stomach. Um, because I was so convicted that so many of the complaints that I had about my church, so many of the wishes I had for my church, they're really based on my own human wish dreams of community and not the Bible. And over the years, and this just breaks my heart, I've seen too many people, too many people who get disappointed, who get disillusioned, and then they just leave the church because their church community could not live up to their personal, personal visionary ideas of church because they didn't stop to consider what God's word says about the church. 
And so as we consider together how to be a better church, we always have to ask ourselves, are my ideas and thoughts about my church aligned with God's word? What ideas have you and I had over the years that proved to be unbiblical? What ideas might you have now that aren't rooted in the word of God? When I was in my early 20s, uh, you know, I, I was a young guy, and I and I would walk around and I'd tell people, um, you know, I, I'm so I'm gonna my goal in Christian faith, I want to be so mature that one day I hope I I don't have to participate in church that much. I'm gonna be so mature. I'm gonna be a standalone. I'm gonna do this on my own. And you can see how there's a faulty, faulty premise. May we all repent of our views of church that run contrary to God's word. And so that's the first challenge for us. As a church, we need to be grounded in the word of God so that we can truly be what the church should be. But secondly, we need to be grounded in the word of God well as a church so that we can do what the church should do. Let's uh, look at verse 15 with me. It says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. This is how we grow into Christ-like maturity as a church and counter the deceitful winds of doctrine. We speak truth and love to one another. And as you guys all know by now, our vision is to be a disciple-making church. Our vision, our vision is to follow Jesus and help others follow Jesus. And using this very verse, last year, last summer, Justin Buzzard came and he gave us a very helpful definition of discipleship. Um, he said, discipleship is transferring truth and love through intentional relationships that lead people toward Jesus. And after launching that vision last year, the elders and I, we've been, we've been watching really carefully. You know, we've been seeing where are our weaknesses as a church? You know, where, where are the holes that are going to prevent us from fulfilling our vision to make disciples? And part of that is seeing that we are imbalanced in the area of truth and love. We want to achieve a balance of truth and love, but at our, at our church as a whole, I believe that we are, uh, much weaker with truth than with love. And would you guys agree with that? Before you answer that, you're thinking, well, what does he mean by that? Does he mean that, like, are we too nice to each other? Are we, uh, we need to be more hard on each other, right? We need to confront each other with hard truths. You know, we gotta do more real talk, right? Um, maybe, maybe that's what God's talking about here. But if you're looking at the text as a whole, and we'll look at it, what we really need to see is that speaking truth means that we're speaking from a specific source. Namely, in here, the word of God. And how do we know this? I want you guys to look at verse 11. It gives us the context. Look at the people that Paul lists here. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. What do these people have in common? You'll notice they're, these equippers, they're agents of truth. One commentator, he says that the apostles were the foundational, authoritative eyewitnesses to the truth. The prophets were the speaker of God's truth that were given to the people. The evangelists evangelized people with the truth of the gospel. And the shepherd teachers, they feed and they protect their sheep with God's truth. They're all agents of truth about God's word and the gospel. So in short, we know that speaking truth in love means that we love one another by speaking the truth of God's word and the gospel to one another constantly. In one sense, we're kind of preaching to each other all the time, right? Um, family, how are we gonna, how are we gonna speak truth and love to one another if we have superficial understandings of scripture? When our brothers and sisters come to us for help, for a word of comfort, for a word of hope, will we love them enough to give them the word of God or something lesser, something else? 
my hope and my prayer is that we as the church, we would be reading, we would be studying, we would be meditating and loving one another with the Word of God. And how can we do that? Of course, uh, we need to be in our Bibles, um, but we also need to be in our Bibles with each other. So my challenge to you is maybe maybe we sit down with somebody and just read through a book of the Bible and just hear what God can do and say, say it among the two of you, three of you, four of you. Can we challenge each other with the Word of God? So that's my second point. And this leads me to my last point, the plan for the church. The Word of God not only provides the prescription for church, it not only helps us overcome the problems in church, but it also provides the glorious plan for the church. In 1975, there was a film came out. It was Steven Spielberg, the movie Jaws. This movie is about a ragtag group of guys who uh, search for this uh, great white shark. Um, and it killed several people, so they're looking for the shark. And so this uh, three-man crew, they go out in this boat called the Orca to hunt down this uh, killer shark. And to bait the shark toward the boat, this police chief, the uh, main character, Chief Brody, he, uh, he chums the water with dead fish guts and blood. And you guys, we have a lot of fishers in our, in our church. We have, a, uh, we have some people who, are love, who love fisher, fishing. And to chum is you take dead fish guts, blood, bait, and you throw it into the water next to your boat. And so as he's casually chumming the waters, Chief Brody, he catches a glimpse of this massive shark who pokes his head, who pokes his gigantic head and razor sharp teeth out of the water. And he's just completely terrified. He's shocked. And he gets up and he steps backwards step by step. He starts backing into the boat with his eyes just fixed on that one spot where the where the uh, where he spotted the shark, and uh, he still has a cigarette dangling from his mouth, and he goes back and he tells the captain, and this is more, probably one of the most iconic lines in movie history. He says, "You're going to need a bigger boat." <laughs> when we rightly read scripture, church, and we get a glimpse of what God is doing in the church, we're all going to be saying the same thing. We're going to be saying, "Wow, we need a much bigger boat, a much bigger boat." Because you see, when you we, when we read God's word. We're going to see all the glorious and amazing things Jesus is doing in the church. You know how much Jesus loves scripture? Consider this. The Bible says that when Jesus was just 12 years old, he left his parents' side and they found him three days later listening and discussing scripture with the teachers of the law at the synagogue. 12 years old. Right before he started his public ministry, Satan, as you know, tempted him three separate occasions in the desert. And each time, what did he fight off the lies of Satan with, with the word of God. When the Pharisees questioned Jesus in trying to trap him, he questioned them right back with what? The Old Testament. He exposed their crooked hearts. Jesus was constantly teaching and applying scripture everywhere he went. And then when he was on the cross, and he was bleeding, and he was experiencing the agony of the cross, Jesus literally shouted the Bible in Psalm 22. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, when you cut our Jesus, he bleeds scripture. And when he cried out in pain and he gave his last breath, who did he suffer and die for? The church. For you, for me, for indelible grace, for all the churches in the world. Jesus paid the absolute highest price for his great prize, which is his bride. The church was purchased at the greatest cost because Jesus has for the church the greatest purpose. What is that purpose? Just in Ephesians, we get a glimpse of this. In Ephesians 1, 9 through 10, I'll read it to you. 
He says this, Ephesians 1, 9-10, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, here it is, to unite all things in him, that's Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. Jesus is in the business of redeeming heaven and earth. And Ephesians 2 tells us that he's doing it, you guys know these passages, by, re- by making a new humanity of men and women saved through faith in Jesus. These are people, like you and me, we were once dead in sin. We were destined for hell and God's holy wrath. But God, in his great love for us, in his great mercy, he makes us alive in Christ. He gives us a new identity called the church. And that's the gospel. And the church was created to carry out God's gospel plan. And, and a few chapters into the book, in chapter 310, listen to this. So I love this passage. It's one of my favorite passages about church. Through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the, hev- in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. That means that the church alone, church alone, no other entity, will display the entire wisdom of God even to the angels, to the demons, and all of the heavenly realms. And that's an amazing, amazing thing. Jesus also says that the work of the church is guaranteed. Our work's not going to be in vain. All the things that you guys are doing here at IGC, all the ministry that you guys are doing in your life, they will not be in vain. They will, they will ring eternally. Jesus tells us, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. You see, this is why Paul starts our passage today. Look at your passage. Look in verse 1. He's, that's why he starts with the word, Therefore. Let's look back at verse 1. Verse 1 says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Do You see, it's in light of all of these glorious truths, all of these glorious plans that God has for the church, that he tells us to walk according to our calling. This is the glorious calling for our church. And we need a much bigger boat. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the church. She's weak. She's ugly. She's even unfaithful at times. But your son, he is strong and he's faithful. And he promises to present his bride spotless and blameless one day. Father, we ask that you forgive us for our neglect of your word. And put in us a heart that would not only study your word, but love your word. We pray that Indelible Grace Church would be a church constantly shaped by your word constantly loving others with the truth, continually motivated by the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.